Given South Africa's energy problems and the bloated debt of ESCOM and the fact that ESCOM can't service its own debt from its revenue, a lot of people are talking about solar and the potential of solar to bring energy to a country like ours, but also a continent like Africa. On average, Africa has 300 days of sunlight, which means it's in an ideal position to use solar as a primary energy source. I've been joined by a couple of really smart people who work very specifically in the solar industry. One of them is Mike Pure, who is the head of infrastructure and telecoms at Nedbank, one of South Africa's biggest bank, and the team from Aldo Energy, who are a very interesting company that have gone from making solar panels and solar installations to managing the infrastructure related to the solar market, which is in itself expanding rapidly in South Africa and in Africa. So I'm joined by uh, the CEO, Tim Olson, John Less, the Chief Commercial Officer, and Matt Wainwright, the CFO from, from Aldo Energy, and of course, uh, lawyer extraordinaire, Robert Applebaum from Wormer Wenzel, who's pulled this all together. And the conversation is about the challenges and the opportunities around solar. And, I, and I'm gonna start with Tim, who has been in the, in the solar business for a number of years, and we're just gonna talk about the possibilities of solar. I mean, they are quite remarkable, aren't they, Tim? Absolute, absolutely, Toby. So um, the market has changed quite a lot over the last um, 10 years. Uh, if you look at the price of the solar PV panels, you know, when I got in the space six years ago, you were buying you're buying solar at a, a very different rate than what you're buying now, whether you're a household or a business. Um, and the same thing is happening right now with batteries. You know, the, the prices of batteries are coming down sharply year on year, and all of these things start making solar a lot more f affordable and actually a viable solution for customers to start implementing. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's more than just the man in, you know, a guy in a house putting solar panels on. It's one, it's one of the things I want to do, but, but it's, it's big industrial and commercial enterprises. Mustek and Midran, for instance, have a solar installation that they're using for their own purposes. If you have a big factory with a lot of roof space, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, to have some, some form of solar energy? Absolutely. I think you know, the reality is that um, everyone relies on electricity. So you always know that that is the one utility, just like water, that you're always going to demand. And obviously being reliant on the municipality or on ESCOM supplying the power, given the current circumstance, isn't necessarily that future-proof. So when you start looking at the affordability of solar and the things like storage that allow you to actually put up your own effective power plant, whether you're home or business, has a very, very strong business case. And the payback periods have dropped from something in the region of 10, 10 years in some cases, all the way down to below three years. So it just gives you a good indicator that rising electricity costs with you know coming the coming down of actual component pricing is, is a big drive in terms of customers implementing this as a it's actually a business case in itself. I, is that commercial operations or people's houses? Uh, combination three years. Combination. I think you know for business you also operate very differently. You you come into the premises at eight, you close at five, six, so it's ideal for solar. Yes. The homeowner's got a different scenario where most people leave their home in the mornings to go to work. And that's typically when you produce most of the power during p uh, midday. So that's where kind of a home installation typically needs some form of battery backup to store that power that they generate that is not being used. But it makes sense in both cases. For homeowners, it's a convenience and kind of energy security. For businesses, obviously, a far more uh, rigid, um, robust business case because they can actually subsidize quite a large chunk 
of the uh, utility cost per month by deploying solar. I mean, apart from the solar panels themselves, Tim, one of the things that, that you need, uh, especially in a household, is the batteries. And the batteries, for a long time, have kind of just been the batteries you would use for a tractor. Mm. There's, an, there's, a, there's a bit of a revolution going on, I suppose, in some ways, led by Tesla and their Powerwall mm. towards more intelligent lithium-ion-based batteries, yeah. which have a, a you know, better store charge better and are much more useful. Mm. Look, there, there are a couple of different players in the battery technology race, and you know each ones have their, their pros and their cons. But Tesla has definitely been leading the pack in terms of getting a commercially large-scale deployment of a battery manufacturing facility and getting batteries into more people's hands and good branding and you know kind of like the quality assurance behind the brand is a big driver in that. But um, the pricing, as I said earlier, has come down drastically, and that is a massive trigger to actually getting batteries into people's homes now. The one big thing is that a battery does what it does and says on the tin it, it literally just allows you to store the power so you can use it at different times of day when when you actually need it and that kind of enables the pv business model very nicely for a homeowner but um the way that also the evolution of the energy market we call this the the digitization movement or the energy transition that's happening at the moment is actually going to view batteries is they're going to become virtual power plants it's actually an asset in the, yes. in the field that doesn't matter if it's at your house or on top of a net bank building um, that will allow you to effectively dispatch, so on demand, effectively release kilowatt hours into the network to start managing some of the shortfalls that ESCOM may have or municipality may have. Um, so it allows us to start looking at these distributed assets as a tool to yes. effectively balance and manage the network so that we're not impacted in terms of our daily lives. I mean, you were you were you were telling me earlier about a fascinating case study of a of a of a residential complex in Pretoria where you're putting this into action. I mean, this is a this is the kind of futuristic vision that President Sir Ramaphosa was talking mm -hmm. about in his State of the Nation address. I mean, this is, you know, to the sounds very science fiction. You're managing the power for I think it's just under 200 houses. Yeah, uh, run us through that. So it was actually quite an interesting. Um, um, project to begin with because the, the body corporate had quite a lot of challenges around how they were able to collect money from the very residents um, within the state and um, there were a lot of funny things going on like some fraud, some under collections and the body corporate would always under recover the monthly amounts that they had to, to cover their bulk bill with, with China as their municipality. Effectively we, we replaced the existing metering um, service provider that they had, we funded the rollout of new smart which are digital meters that allows us to get data from the customers in real time. Uh, we deployed an e-wallet that allows the customers through their mobile app or through an online dashboard to effectively purchase the electricity via banking online payments. And we ensure that the body corporate is actually able to recover 100% of what the kilowatt hours are within the network. Um, and because it's funded, it's also a good value proposition to them because they don't have they didn't have to outlay any capex and we effectively took full responsibility. So if we don't collect, we don't get our money and vice versa. But the interesting thing is that this was a project that we did a year ago, and now that we have quite a lot of data, I mean, you know, you can kind of really see when people are home and how they're consuming energy, and all of this data within a very big network. In this case, you've got to think about the state as like a little microgrid. Um, it's, it's its own network. It's got its own consumption profile based on the um, people that live in the state and how they go about their daily lives. And we use that data to effectively size a bespoke PV solution but what makes this project very unique is that it's effectively one virtual power plant that is distributed amongst 52 roofs. 
So we've effectively putting up PV across 52 households. That, that's just for people who don't know the acronym photovoltaic is the technology that runs a solar panel. Exactly. So it goes onto your roof, but it converts the sun rays, the radiation from the sun, into usable kilowatt hours. There's a bit of an engineering trick to it where you take direct current and you convert it to alternating current, and everything that we use in our home uses alternating current, your TVs, your phones, your lights. Um, it's just how a kind of a network um, is, is designed to operate. So we, we basically aggregate the 52 individual solar installations into one power plant, the body corporate is now effectively going to have two sources of supply. Um, they'll see one meter from Chuane and one meter from the solar installation as a summation, so a virtual power plant. And it will cater for about 30% of the state's entire energy need. All of this, again, is fully funded off balance sheet, so the body corporate didn't have to outlay any cash to actually start implementing the solution. It is an um, agreement over 10 years that allows them to effectively have a discount on the current rate of electricity that they're buying from Chuane as a municipality. I mean, a 30% discount for electricity is, is a significant saving, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, this is what you'll start seeing now, is that the way that the increase in tariffs has obviously escalated in very recent years, but if you look at over the last 10 years, it's kind of like you have a double compounding effect. On the one hand, yes. costs are going up. So you know you're going up 12% now going into July, but also the price of soda has come down. So you're kind of like having this very nice double compound effect where your savings and your business case actually exponentially grows in the foreseeable future. Uh, it, you had me at exponentially. So Mike, this is where you come in because of course, if you're gonna finance something over 10 years, you need a, a financial structure for it, don't you? Toby, that's right. So I think just adding on to what Tim has said, there, there are a whole bunch of reasons why financial institutions, whether you're a, a debt provider or an equity provider, have to pay a huge amount of attention. Um, firstly, um, we've been involved in financing large-scale um, generation projects across the continent for the last 20 years. But the simple reality is that things like transmission distribution cost huge amounts of money. Building big power stations on average can take you anywhere between probably, in the best case scenario, eight years to 12 years to bring to bear a, a big new plant. Um, in South Africa, we, we have the um, ability to take five times longer than budget and, and spend five times more money in bringing on big-scale projects like Madupi, Kusili, etc. I like the, the way you call that an ability. And we, the, the, the problem with that, of course, is that you can't get power to people as quickly as you need. So we, we have this revolution which is coming down. Um, decarbonization is just, it has become a reality. Banks have to think about it and we have to say we will, over time, stop financing bad, dirty coal power projects and we need to convert to something else. Simultaneously, we have this revolution that Tim has referred to where we've got technology that is becoming so cheap that truly the least cost and, and the, the types of technologies that banks can finance are becoming far more prolific. We, we can finance PV projects because the economic model now suddenly starts to work. You, you've got the demand being drawn from people and you've got the pressure from institutional investors, shareholders, et cetera, saying stop financing the old, old coal. So it, it's converging um, into a particular world. But it's, a, it's a perfect storm in the best possible way. It's a, it's a growth industry that requires financing and it's a social good and it's good for the environment. Ab absolutely. So it, it blends itself into a point now where people need, we talk about things like distributed generation, we, we're moving 
power closer to where people are so you can avoid some of the big costs of building top-end uh, transmission lines, etc. But coupled with that are a couple of other revolutions that are taking place. Pintech is delivering prepaid solutions so that people can pay for electricity in a completely different way than receiving a bill from Eskom, which is normally wrong once a month, um, and having to deal with that. The consequence of, of this big data that, that is associated with things like prepayments means you can, banks can ensure the risk associated with providing finance to lots and lots of small users. So I think everybody is generally looking at, at the whole energy model in a completely different way. Um, and, and from a banking perspective, it, it's becoming the right thing to do. It, it is complex because it is, it, it's on that cusp of, of the revolution. The South African government has recently realized that it needs to do more, so we've now um, agreed that we will license people up to 10 megawatts. So the demand side that, is, that typically drives banking behavior, you need to see that people are, have a need for services, um, are taking us to a point where every bank is spending its time and energy focused on how to find financing models for projects like the ones that Tim has, has described. But a huge amount of converging technologies coming together. It's not just merely the fact that PV is, is cheaper than um, other forms of energy right now. Um, so I, I think um, apart from the, um, the market opportunity, it, there, there, are, there is sufficient project flow, there's enough deal flow happening for it to be interesting to people. Um, all of the banks would love to, uh, it, it makes a lot more economic sense to do one major project a year, but those projects don't really exist anymore and therefore um, people are spending a lot more time looking at um, where the next buck is going to come from in the energy sector and a lot of it is going to come from this model of, of uh, distributed embedded generation, smaller scale projects and PV in South Africa is right up there. I mean, let's just let's just kind of sum up what we're talking about here. In the past, we used to think of solar installations as photovoltaic or PV panels, uh, the batteries that go with them. Now, what we're talking about is a, is a model that looks very much like so many of the other consumer services we were familiar with. Uh, you're using a smartphone, a smartphone app. You're using uh, fintech-based ways instead of using you know tokens. 20-digit tokens that you have to manually input. You can link it to your bank, so you've got a, a financial uh, link to that. I mean, it sounds, you know, I hate to use the phrase, but Uber for solar. And that's the ease of use that I, that I believe makes it easier for people to adopt new technology when they're not learning a new skill set. They're not learning how to drive a car. They're just yeah. opening an <coughs> app and using an app. I mean, that's quite fantastic, isn't it? So I think Tim alluded to it. It's, it's now about running an entire network. It's an end-to-end -end system from the end user on the back of a cell phone mm -hmm. through to where the generation comes from. And putting those pieces together, embedding smart meters in, in the system to actually deal with yes. data and to manage it means you can deal with two things. You can deal with technical losses on a far better basis than you have ever before. On the one side, on the other side, you can deal with collections. So two pieces that have been, that have made the bankability of new technologies very difficult are really pulling together at, a, at an incredible rate. And just to add to that, I think you know this is one of the biggest things for, for us as a business. We, we basically see this evolution, we see the evolution of utility as a service. And um, one of the big things that we're trying to do is effectively put um, a utility in people's pockets via their phones um, to make it that seamless, that transparent. I mean, why should you get a bill at the end of the month and you know, just see a RAND value. You need to understand how you've consumed, whether it's water or electricity in real time. You should be able to get alerts 
you should be able to manage your PV system, you should be able to manage your energy loads within the home yeah. or within the business. And that's, that's one of the big drivers now. I think that as our network, as Mike said, is becoming far more distributed and we have the ability to actually deploy these different technologies, it's how you aggregate them as a virtual solution offering, just like an Uber would have done for transport. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean my, my this is an example I'm thinking about right now. I'm driving a BMW i3, it's an electric car. I wanna know how much it costs me to charge the car if I plug mm. it in at home. So I can't get that information from the city of Johannesburg until the end of the month. So I have no idea mm. what the cost is, but you know, you've got the smart meters, therefore you've got smarts. You've got data that's readily and instantly available. Isn't, mm. isn't that part of the evolution that we're, we're, we're seeing, that, that, that it's readily available information and data? Um, it is and it isn't. Unfortunately, that information isn't readily available at this stage. I, I think also the way that you have to kind of understand the energy sector, just like, you know, we, we're very reliant on the municipalities and ESCOM, everything's very proprietary in the space. So a Tesla Powerwall does not talk to an ADB battery solution. You've got a whole bunch of different solar providers setting you different solar systems. A smart meter allows you to start abstracting away from you know, that kind of OEM, that kind of original equipment manufacturing, that technology yes. that you may have. But um, again, you know, there are lots of different smart meter manufacturers. So the biggest challenge is being, being able to address this, and this is a very technical term, this interoperability that exists inherently in a very complicated, vast distributed network. Um, and it's actually one of our big strengths is how we aggregate data across different OEMs, across different brands from different data, data sources and provide a seamless virtual service to our customers. I, I'm interested in that um, because you, you were talking about having a, a, a PV business six years ago, but you've moved into a very different space. You're, not, you're, not, you're, you're providing the services that power the solar business. Absolutely, and um, I think just to give you a bit more context, you know, I, I often say to my team, um, because in fact, all employees that were in the PV business are now part of the broader Eldo business, and Eldo is now a, a digital utility, as we like to call ourselves. Um, you had me at digital. Yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to create a new buzzword in the space. Um, but effectively, um, the know-how, the lessons. I mean, I used to be on those roofs, scoping the PV, being the project manager on site. And as our team grew, obviously we had a lot more resources to really start gearing up for more work. But th the market has become very competitive. It's become very cutthroat and there isn't much differentiator anymore in the space. So what we decided to do, having also built a software business concurrently, which is really the basis of the current business that Aldo remains to be, is effectively taking the, the capability that we have in-house to really develop leading software solutions in the space um, and empowering solar providers and customers in a more seamless marketplace environment that allows you to get quotes from different solar providers that have been pre-qualified by us. Just like when you jump into an Uber cab, you know that he would have gone through some pre-inspection yes. services at Uber, that he's got a roadworthy certificate, that his tires are in order, uh, that he has insurance, et cetera, and that the driver checks out. We do the same thing on the solar construction side. Um, and we provide that as a seamless, quality assurance service to our customers to basically say, you're looking for home um, PV system, you're looking for a PV system for your business, go to our platform, allows you to effectively inquire from different solar providers to give you proposals, we manage the whole process, so we provide you an extra layer of assurance, and when if, you, if it comes down to you requiring finance, we then match you up with guys like NetBank to actually facilitate the finance into um, the projects that you may want to install. 
I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a homeowner, and I am, and I'm looking at all of this stuff. It's a bit of a one-stop shop for me, uh, I suppose, as a homeowner or a business to say, this is what my requirements are, this is what I need, who can give me the best price. It's the same way I hire a builder who hires the plumber and the electrician and the guy who builds the roof and the paving stones. You know, I don't... I, I deal with one point of contact. Is that the kind of model you, you run? <coughs> That's exactly it. Um, we obviously don't take the construction risk, but we vet the guys who are going to help you actually scope and install the PV system. Um, but it, it's effectively a one-stop shop because once you have a PV provider that you want to go ahead with and he's given you the proposal that you're happy with, who's going to provide you the finance? Who's going to provide you the insurance? And then you know, kind of like stitching the whole thing together is part of the project. Um, and it's very cumbersome, it's very disjointed, and also on the solar provider side, again, having been a solar provider, we understand these challenges, it becomes quite a task to effectively get a project over the line as a result. Um, so often what happens is a solar provider has a relationship with one bank, but you know, if I already have a, a home loan with NetBank, who better to find my PV system yeah, than NetBank? Yeah. Um, and you, know, you can also make it a bit competitive. Um, but you know, that's, that's kind of the, the principles to actually give customers the best solution based on their specific needs and not have to worry about all the headaches and that come with you deciding you know, what PV solution, who to go with. I suppose, Mike, that the, the, the way to think about it for a homeowner is like a home loan. You need, to, you need to do something. You can't pay for it all now. It's a very expensive outlay. I mean, I know some friends have taken extensions on their bonds to build this kind of stuff, but you, you know, you must be seeing a lot of this. Yeah. So I think the the two very obvious ways that uh, this type of funding takes place at the moment are um, people who do have equity in their bonds. If you you you've got a bond of a million, you've paid it out to six hundred, you you just increase your your bond or you approach your bank, because it does improve the value of your property. There's no question that the that all of the the concepts of um, energy security and a cheaper entry cost of of, of power mean that it, uh, it improves the value of the home. That's the one way. The other way is that these portfolio developers um, are able to offer you a lease product where, which again, banks will generally finance or provide you with a short-term loan to finance a comprehensive system. Um, and it just depends on what your personal requirements are. So I think it's becoming easier for people to obtain financing. There are um, a number of institutions that are, are becoming really competitive in this space. Um, it, it's part of a massive green climate fund initiative as well. So yes. um, institutions like the Development Bank of South Africa have a particular facility to try to encourage um, cheaper financing mechanisms to enable um, everybody to be able to utilize the technology. I mean, that's an interesting way to approach it as a, as a leasing model, isn't it? Because you're not buying the stuff outright. So you, you're, you're leasing it. I mean, there's some strategic advantages in that, especially, I suppose, with upgrading batteries if Absolutely. you need to. So I mean, I think you as the end user, you want the, the maximum simplicity. You want to know that you can upgrade the technology over time as it improves to, to again, keep driving the price point down. And you want something to look after it for you. You don't really want to be climbing up into your roof because there's a broken panel and, and replacing it. So, Yeah, I mean, I, 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 in, in many ways, Tim, this sounds more like a a tech play versus versus an engineering play, isn't it? I mean, the, the engineering technology, the, 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 the stuff, the physical stuff that you're using is pretty standardized, but you, you're, you're 
brought an integration in, in terms of the app-based way it works and the, the way you combine multiple panels on different roofs into this virtual power station, you call it. That's it's technology we're talking about. That's exactly what we believe. Um, you know, you need the engineering because those, those are the, the nuts and the bolts that actually make it happen. But now as our network changes and we become and we become a lot more connected and we're getting a lot more data, um, that's exactly the byproduct. It's, it's a tech play and that's really also why we're trying to, as a business, position ourselves as part of this digital utility movement. Um, we're calling it utility tech effectively. You hear the words in fintech, prop tech, but you, utility tech is fairly new. Um, and that's really what we see the future of the network becoming. It's, it's gonna become this very connected network where homeowners will be able to transact with one another. If you're not home, but your neighbor is, they will be buying power from you. And obviously granted, there are a lot of regulatory changes that need to happen in South Africa to actually enable that legally. But uh, we don't think we're far off. And the, the basic foundational rollout of that connected infrastructure is all, it's where it starts. You need to get the data, and once you have the data, you can facilitate this digital utility service. I mean, it, it has fascinating possibilities, doesn't it? I mean, you were saying you're not at home. Your neighbor will use your surplus facilities. It's a no-brainer. You've got the panels. You've got the batteries. Mm. It's going to waste otherwise. Exactly, and um, it allows you to monetize that asset better, and it also allows you to do your part in terms of managing your local community because you've got to think about your neighborhood as its own micro-network and you're all in a local community dependent on one another and it allows you all to manage that network effectively as a, a whole rather than looking in isolation about what am I doing at my home or what am I doing at my business. I, I, in, in, in the tech space where anyone who works in, in, in a big business is, is quite used to this idea of distributed work. You know, I, you know, just my company anyone can work from the office or they can work from home or they could be anywhere. That's a, that's a concept that people are familiar with. You can work in a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Applying it to energy is a bit of a, a different understanding, but there's no reason it couldn't be just as successful. It's, it definitely has the potential to be that. And like I said, regulation needs to support it. And you know, you look at markets like in Australia, UK, Germany, America, where the market is a lot more open, a lot more deregulated that enables this true business model to, to flourish. But you also look at the technological evolution of things like blockchain, and blockchain doesn't solve all problems and it has its place. But in context of like a, a, a use case within energy and in a distributed network, it actually is quite suitable because what you, what you effectively are doing is you're moving away from one central system, yes. being copper cables or a monopoly like an ESCOM that provides you the power, to a distributed system where you as a homeowner must have a social contract with your neighbor to fulfill the transaction of you being able to provide them the kilowatt hours when you're not at home. And the byproduct is you've got to know your neighbor and you've got to have a relationship mm. and that's not a bad mm. thing. And then you go through the complexity of, you know, you need to be able to accurately account for the kilowatt hours that you provided him and how you build that. Is it on the right tariff? And you're doing that in real time. Then you've got to do a transaction where you're actually paying or you being paid for providing those kilowatt hours. So you've got all these other uh, dependencies that actually also make the space very complicated um, as, as part of the evolution. But we also see this as sequencing. It's an evolution. It's not a revolution in many respects. And you've got to ba basically start with basic building blocks. And from there, you know, the reality is, is not that far off. I indeed. Yeah, one of the fascinating things that I... That I um, 
it's one of the things that fascinated me about the solar industry, and it was it was Al Gore, the you know the former U.S. Vice President, who mentioned it at the Discovery Leadership Summit a few years ago, talking about green technology, and he said Moore's law applies to green technology. So Moore's law is every 18 months, processor power doubles and and the cost halves, which basically means every year and a half you're getting twice as strong solar panels for half the price. I mean, Matt, you're obviously seeing that. Absolutely, yeah. and then we're seeing this happen on a number of levels. So you're seeing it happen on solar, so the primary cost of solar panels dropping. We're seeing that same cost curve happening with batteries. But then you look at some enabling layers, like looking at the cost of connectivity and the cost of sensors and devices. That is starting to enable um, you know, this new uh, model of offering utilities as a service because each of those um, interconnected parts are coming down um, in unison. I mean, we're probably more familiar with uh, utility as a service than most people realize. You, you pay for uh, something like Netflix. It's in, in one definition. You watch it when you want to watch it, and you don't when you don't, even though you're paying a set fee. But it's a business plan or business model that's, that's uh, rapidly taking over. You need more power infrastructure. You, you, can, you can pay for more of it if you're a business. Absolutely, and I mean, we're seeing the, the kind of on-demand economy with Uber, um, Airbnb, you know, those, those business models are marketplaces because ultimately what people want is to get from A to B or to stay in a place for a certain amount of time. And, but ultimately what it's doing is um, sharing those resources in a more efficient way and connecting um, different end users because now there's a marketplace you can now transact. Same thing applies with solar. In, in Tim's example earlier, if I've got batteries that are fully charged and someone else is needing some power, yes. they, can, they can trade with me to get what I have that they need. And overall, we're using what we have more efficiently. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, you have the capacity. Why not share it with someone who needs it? You know, I mean, we can't do it with a full geezer, but you can definitely do it with a full battery where you can transmit the electricity. Absolutely. Uh, interestingly, you were talking about sensors because uh, even though it's a confusing term that no one really truly understands what is the Internet of Things, what we're talking about is, is much more sensor data. We know how much power is in battery one, two, and three. We know how much power is the neighbor's got. And with more data from more sensors, you can, you can use the data and you can use the electricity and the batteries much better, can't you? Definitely, and I mean, let me give you a practical example. You tend to find out that something's broken when it breaks. Yes. So if your local municipal substation goes down or the substation in your complex goes down, what sensors and IoT can do is detect that either that substation is operating at a too high temperature or is starting to vibrate and generate a job card for an, a, a techie to go out and fix it before it actually breaks. Yes. Because, you know, and this goes to one of our missions at Aldo, is for you to enjoy your life. Get on with your life. You don't want to be worried about not having electricity or not having water because of all these things. Because if we put these sensors in place, you can move on and do all the stuff yeah. that you want to be doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer for me. You know, if you've got... If you've got a, 
a sensor that says this turbine is rattling a little too f out of range, it's a, it sounds there's something wrong, somebody needs to tighten some bolts. That's before the disaster happens. And you apply that on scale to all of ESCOM's generating power that could make ESCOM's you know, planned and unplanned uh, blackouts significantly different. But in, in the case of solar, it, it, it has very real and immediate uh, value for both the customers and someone who, you know, you, you know your battery's got capacity problems before suddenly it breaks and you've got no power overnight. Sure, and I mean, and that's, we often talk about the value of energy in, in kind of two paradigms. One is how much you're paying for the energy that you use, but the cost of not having power, not being able to watch TV or, you know, um, do your homework, like that's the value of not having power or the cost of not having power is actually far greater. Yes. And that's, that's where you're starting to talk about energy security. And by leveraging these technology advances, we're delivering both, both a saving in the actual cost of the power and providing increased energy security. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's just talk about energy security because it's a, it's a big issue in South Africa right now. We, you know, if you're a business and suddenly there's a, you know, as we happen in March, five days of rolling blackouts, um, your business suffers significantly. So it's not just that you don't have the power, it's that there's so many other unexpected costs that perhaps you could have prepared for if you knew it was coming, you could have got a generator or you could have got charged your solar lamps. It, there's a there's a, an ease of business that, that understanding what's going to happen with your energy can, can enable, isn't there? Definitely, and I mean, it goes back to basic ri risk management. Instead of depending on one utility to provide your service, you're now spreading your bets. You're spreading your bets to the solar on your roof, to the battery that's local storage, and the utility. So all three need to go out before you're out of power. Back up, back up, back up. Exactly, and cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. Um, so John, I, I, I wanna ask you, and, and, and you're the, the chief commercial officer for Aldo. You're obviously doing a lot of work in Africa. It's a, it's a no-brainer in Africa to have a solar installation, isn't it? Definitely. There's been a huge opportunity that's been created from the decentralization of energy and all through Southern Africa, uh, particularly in Malawi and Zambia, you're seeing uh, the development of new business models like solar home systems and microgrids that have really flourished uh, as a result of the decrease, decreasing cost of, of solar. I think that the cost, annual cost of, of providing electricity in Africa is something like $42 billion. A lot of that is, is ESCOM and ESCOM's debt. I mean, that just seems like an extraordinary amount of money spent propping up an old technology system, coal and transmissions lines, whereas this, this idea of having a distributed network where you could have power, your neighbor could have power, or you could buy power from, from the school down the road who doesn't need the capacity over the weekend. It, it, the possibilities are fantastic, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. Um, particularly in South Africa, but in many markets uh, in the region, the levelized cost of electricity for either rooftop solar or large-scale utility solar has dropped below the actual marginal production costs of a coal-fired power plant. Or wow. in north of South Africa, particularly for oil-based um, or uh, gas-based or coal-based um, power. 
So now not only can these plants be built in six weeks to six months, but the total cost um, of electricity uh, for a new solar solution is less than the uh, existing operating costs of older coal-fired power stations. I, I, I've seen those figures and they are gobsmacking. I mean, it, 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 it makes no sense anymore for anyone in the world to build a coal-fired station or any new kind of oil or gas sourced energy. I mean, it, it makes no sense economically if solar is so cheap. Agreed. Um, it's an exciting time uh, in terms of uh, the energy uh, supply industry in Southern Africa. You're seeing um, lots of formerly monopoly integrated um, utilities begin to unbundle, not just ESCOM, but uh, throughout Southern Africa, in Malawi, um, you're seeing huge um, uh, liberalization of markets in East Africa and in West Africa, and the impact of that is rapidly decreasing costs for consumers and um, uh, better service. Yeah, in indeed, and you've touched on one of the key enablers or disablers, and that's the right policy. If you have the right government policy, it, it, can, it can make it an industry like this completely flourish, can't it? Agreed. I think that's been the Achilles heel of South Africa, is not having uh, policy certainty and not having investor-friendly um, regulations that have really been designed to prevent uh, the energy industry from growing to hold up a, an, an ESCOM monopoly. Um, for good or for bad, those days are over. Yeah. And uh, I think you'll see a huge flourishing in uh, energy job opportunities as a result of the forced opening up of the provision of energy services at a distributed level. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, you can see that starting to happen incrementally as it is. I mean, one of the suggestions around ESCOM is if you have all of the infrastructure for the, the transmission of power, why when people start mothballing uh, the, the coal-fired stations, don't you put a solar a field of solar panels? Why don't you use that existing site and existing infrastructure? It, it, it seems like an obvious thing for ESCOM to do, doesn't it? It is, and it's actually something that's being discussed uh, at senior levels of government uh, under the term the just energy transition. And so there, there are a lot of stakeholders, uh, labor, uh, energy sector, finance, that are looking at how can we um, uh, move as a society from very large, expensive, um, dirty, centralized plants to um, very clean, very um, efficient, uh, and very inexpensive decentralized plants. And so there are discussions underway of how do we bring the solar revolution to Mpumalanga and invest in distributed solar in the areas where South Africa is likely to lose the majority of its coal jobs. And um, some of the data I was, I was seeing um, uh, the other day indicated that the country, if they adopted uh, the least cost IRP plan, would save, I think it was something like 16 billion rands. And the value of that saving should, of course, first be directed towards uh, those coal mines and those coal transport uh, and those um, coal-fired power plant jobs that will, be st will start decommissioning in the next three to 10 years. What are the kinds of jobs that those, those people could be doing in, in solar? 
Well, primarily uh, installation jobs. Um, if you look at U.S. data, which, which I'm most familiar with, um, the jobs in the energy industry in the solar industry are 10x to 20x what the jobs are in, um, in the coal mining specifically for um, coal-fired coal power stations. Um, so the, the number of jobs uh, will astronomically grow in this country uh, as soon as the policy and the regulatory um, environment uh, becomes conducive. Ten times more jobs in, in the green industry than in the coal industry. I mean, that's remarkable. How do we tell the unions? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge is the communication challenge uh, to uh, lots of stakeholders uh, within society. And it's very difficult to understand uh, where technology is going and what what that means. All you know is that your job is threatened. Yeah. And so it really requires industry and governments coming together, uh, holding hands and saying, look, this is significantly better for the country. It's cheaper power, it's more reliable power, it's more secure power, and there are more jobs. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a tough sell. I mean, Mike, in, in, in many ways, what we're seeing is, is, is the beginnings of a, of a revolution, aren't we? Toby, I, I think you're right, and I think to what John has just been explaining um, a few minutes ago about just energy transitioning, the, the revolution is here. People, it, it, it's a very uh, good analogy is the way we evolved into mobile telephony. Yes. There's a layer of infrastructure that needs to be built, and as that layer, as people start to invest in that infrastructure, everything else feeds off it. We, we're now talking about the fourth industrial revolution and the Internet of Things. We're talking about technology that's coupled with infrastructure to get us to a point where um, almost anything is, is possible. So the energy sector is exactly like that. The, the price points of the, the hard tech, the infrastructure, coupled with software, um, tech plays, fintech plays, et cetera, are now transitioning that into energy. So it truly is unstoppable. Um, we have alluded to the problems at Eskom. Um, there is a transition that's gonna have to happen and is going to happen whether Eskom joins in or not. So I think there's a huge amount of focus in the country around how to fix Eskom, and it's not just about a debt-laden utility. It's about a, um, a utility that has to fundamentally change how generation capacity is going to be generated yes. and how it's going to be transmitted and distributed um, into this 21st century, into new pricing models to enable people to keep reducing the cost of energy. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is least cost energy, cost reflective um, tariffs. I, I, it's an interesting analogy because it is a very good example of this fourth industrial revolution. There's a there's a massive transition that has to happen in a very old system, um, and the and the the possibilities and the opportunities are quite game changing, aren't they, Tim? I completely agree. If you even look at further to what Mike was saying, if you look at the the evolution of fibre recently in South Africa and how quickly the fibre boom has happened in the last five years. Fantastic. Changed my life as a consumer and running a business. And how it's empowered models like Netflix and Showmax to yeah. now be in every, everyone's home. And kind of it, it's a nice way of also connecting the dots and drawing another analogy to what we see happening in the energy and the utility sector. You need that backbone, you need that connected infrastructure. And that's also another thing that we've been saying that you know, this evolution of connected infrastructure is very new. Fiber is a prime, prime example of that. You know, why should 
a bank put billions of rands of putting fiber on the ground because you're acquiring customers and you're providing services and you're amortizing that infrastructure over a longer period of time. It's not like building a concessionary toll road anymore. It's actually providing value-added services to end consumers. And we see that being mission critical to actually enable this energy transitioning in South Africa, um, and it all comes back down to data. It does, doesn't it? Because if you have the information, if you have the data, then you can make an informed decision, not just as a, as a consumer mm. in terms of if I put in a solar panel system with batteries that I'm leasing that after a few years the batteries will be replaced because better batteries have come along after 18 months I'll get more powerful solar panels. As a business, I know that I can make a choice, okay, this is going to pay off over five years or maybe it'll be three years depending on how many increases ESCOM gets. It's this kind of information that is, is at the core of what we understand as the fourth industrial revolution. We can make informed decisions based on data, not on supposition. Exactly, and that data is now accurate and transparent and you'll be able to you know, make use of that data in however you seem fit and however the network needs to use that data. So it, it's a great way of also you know, aligning all the stakeholders because now you know that the kilowatt hours that are being supplied to you by a municipality or the kilowatt hours that you're selling to your neighbor are referenced within the network of these connected assets that allows you to actually have accountability. Well, gentlemen, thank you for a, a really fascinating conversation about solar power and the future of how we're all going to use it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Toby.